Hello and welcome to the TIFF podcast where we explore the world of public health, interviewing registrars, academics and leaders in the profession. My name is Josh Hawkins and I'm a speciality registrar in public health in the UK. The aim of this podcast is to offer a wide view of what it means to work in the field while hopefully providing some inspiration to those who would like to train in public health. Today, it is my pleasure to be joined by Angela Baker. Now, normally I'd say a few words on your, your current and previous work here, uh, and we will speak about your current role as Deputy Director for Health Improvement and Workforce in just a moment. But uh, by the time, certainly by the time this podcast comes out, I would, I would think, I believe congratulations uh, are in order for a new job. They are, yes. So I'm going to Coventry um, to uh, work on the children's agenda and also some of the health inequalities agenda. Coventry is a marmot city, so uh, it's very big on health inequalities. So I'm really looking forward to that challenge. Really exciting. Congratulations. Lots to pick up on. Let's start, if that's OK, with your current role as we speak now. Um, and then we'll, we'll very quickly move on to this new job. It's, I'm excited here. Um, so you're currently deputy director for Health Improvement and Workforce at OVID, uh, so the Office for Health Improvement and Disparities. What does your normal week look like? Uh, basically, my role is to uh, support systems in the southeast. That's that's where I'm based. So I'm, we have six ICSs, which is our uh, NHS um, blocks, if you like, and 18 local authorities, which are um, our government uh, measures. And we are working with all of those people to improve the health outcomes of people in the southeast. Um, and at the same time as we do that, um, we work with national government. So we are part of national government and we all lead on uh, national topics and support our national colleagues in the policy teams uh, in developing policy and, and ensuring that what comes out of national government actually uh, fits what we need in our regions and in our localities. So, so it's quite hard to say what a normal week looks like. Um, lots of partnership working, uh, lots of time out um, with, with colleagues in the regions, um, uh, lots of time understanding what their issues are, and then uh, feeding those back into national colleagues to think about how we can improve policy as we develop policy um, so that when policy lands, it makes sense to our systems. They also have a, a, a very small role in ensuring that public health grant and the things we do in public health are the right things for the population that we have. We want to make the most of the resources we have. And so I want the best outcomes out of the money I've got. So very much important to work with local government to understand what the population is and what the evidence is for what works best. So I suppose thinking about making sure the policy and things coming out of national government can be translated and, and making sure it lands with your region, your people. How does that work? Is that working with, so you mentioned different partners, what sort of partners are you working with? So um, within the Department of Health and Social Care, there are various different teams, our alcohol, um, drugs and tobacco teams, we have children and young people's teams, and those teams work with ministers to deliver the government's ambition. So at the moment, um, the government's ambition is to reduce the gap in 
healthy life expectancy between the poorest in the country and the most affluent by up five years. So to, so to close that gap, we need to we need to really understand the evidence. We need to understand what works. And then we need to make sure that the innovation that comes out of national government makes sense to local people so that it can translate and, and be adopted. Because we can have brilliant policies, but if the policies can't be adopted uh, locally, then they won't make the difference. So it's, it's all about what we do at local to make the difference for um, our populations. And, and I suppose your new role in Coventry, will, will that be on that local side? Will it be the same stream or, or is it slightly different? Yeah, no, um, absolutely the same stream. I, I've always specialised in health improvement. It's about working with systems to understand communities. And then when you understand the communities, you can work out the things which aren't working for them and how you can improve health, whether it's healthcare or whether it's access to healthy foods, green spaces, active travel, uh, whether it's it's better treatments for, for various uh, different populations or screening, immunizations, vaccinations, all of those things. You, know, you need to understand the people that you're trying to deliver them to. And then you can you can work out how you can improve the effectiveness of your interventions by understanding your population. And that's that's my job is to understand the population and to ensure that the people delivering locally, whether it's the NHS, whether it's your GP practice, whether it's your local family hub, have the resources and the skills that they need to be able to deliver the things that the local people need. And in each little community, things are slightly different. There isn't a one size fit all. If you've got two streets, they'll be different from the, the two streets next over. So it's very much about understanding people and understanding what what works for those people the language you put things in the intervention might need tweaking slightly to to make it more culturally appropriate to some people so it's very much about really locally understanding what those people want what what drives them what their incentive is to improve and then helping them to achieve that and sometimes that not it might not be my goal but actually by helping them so for example you might want to improve education for five-year-olds in a particular area if you talk to the parents it's not the education that needs improving getting the children to school is fine that what they have problems with is is their jobs so physically getting the kids to school because they're they're working or they're working at the other end of the day or having the ability to engage with the school so when homework comes home reading books letters in bags if it's not in a language you can understand then you you can't help your child to improve at school so so you can see that then you know actually those children if the parents can't read the letter those children don't get the same advantage as people whose parents can read the letter and so you're disadvantaging those children from very early age. So we've got to make sure that it's an even playing field and make sure that, that all the children get the information that they need. And it, it's in a form that is suitable for the children that are in that area. So 
the solution might not be a health solution. It might be translation of letters. It might be thinking about the school day and how, how you teachers link with children and their parents. So, yeah, it, there might be a variety of different things. So lots of different things might come out of that for different types of families. But the end goal is to get everybody able to make the most of their education. Because why am I talking about education when I'm a health professional? Mm. Well, actually, having a really good education is what gets you to having a good job. And if you have a good job and good work is important for your long term health. So, so that's kind of the long game that we play in the health improvement world. It's, it's not just about what the outcomes are going to be this year or next year. But I'm also looking at what can we do in 15 years time? How can we make this population stronger and build upon the, the information that we have over the next 10, 15, 20 years? You're talking about systems working, you mentioned earlier. Um, I suppose it's a good example. And I suppose it reminds me to, to take a step back and, and think about the remit of public health you, you alluded to there, you know, education wouldn't necessarily in, in people's mind come, come under come under health, but it is so, so important. I suppose, you know, if we if we do take a step back and think about the, the, the broad theme of, of health improvement and, and disparities, how do you see that remit? You know, we, we mentioned education as, as an example. How, how do you see the remit of, of health improvement and disparities within public health? Where does it start? Where does it end? Is there an ending? What do you think? So a bit broad. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, we can look at this. I think we can look at this in three ways. Um, OK, we have people that are ill and we can do stuff that improves their health. OK, so we might have people with diabetes. We might have people with COPD and um, we can work with them to help them to lose weight, uh, to stop smoking and to improve their health outcome. But they've got They've got a long term condition and we can't necessarily reverse the long term condition. So so those people are already ill. But what we want to do is to make them as fit and healthy as they can be to be able to function um, and to to be able to participate in, in life and have a good quality of life. OK, and then we have a middle group of people who have they haven't got any health issues at this moment in time. And what they do now will impact on their health when they're older. So, for example, we know that you start losing uh, muscle and balance at about the age of 50. So if we can encourage people of the age of 50 to start exercising, we're likely to reduce falls at, at the age of 80. We're likely to reduce fractured neck of femurs if we keep people's bone health up. So, so there's a group of people who who we can support to live healthily now, which will have an, a medium term impact of, of ensuring that they move to the next stage really well. And then we have this what we call the wider determinants of health. So far, we've talked about individuals and what individuals can do themselves to improve their health. But we have to recognise that, that that's not a level playing field. Not everybody has the same opportunities to improve their health. So for example, if you are a mum with a new baby and perhaps you've got two jobs and you're struggling with childcare, you're struggling with money to be able to feed your children or, or housing, 
you don't have the capacity to then think about your interactions with the child because your brain is taken up with I've got to go to work I've got to get some food I've got to get got to keep my child safe and so those wider determinants will impact on the next generation so where you're born makes a big difference to your life chances and your life expectancies and I personally don't think that's fair that that where a person is born should impact on on whether they have good schooling whether they are able to make the most of the schooling that they have whether they are likely to get a good job and the work that we do around wider determinants is about trying to even out that playing field it's not about bringing people down to the lowest level it's about bringing people up and, and making sure that that those in our most deprived communities have the same opportunities of those in our most affluent communities. Um, and at the moment, we have about a 20-year gap in healthy life expectancy. So our, our most affluent populations probably live to their about 76 in good health, 77 uh, in good health, whereas for our most deprived populations, it's, it's probably only 55. And they probably don't get to retirement in good health. So therefore, yeah, that that's a social injustice as far as I'm, I'm aware. And actually, I want to work with those people to improve their, their life chances and to make sure that those children have as much opportunity as all the other children in a particular place. So for me, that's that's what's really important about my job. It's actually about ensuring it's about social justice. It's about fairness. And making sure that everyone has the same uh, life chances, regardless of where they're born, and ensuring that our health outcomes are the same. So the things that we do to improve health need to be different so that we can get the same health outcomes. To get the same amount of control in your diabetes or in your COPD, people need different treatments. And, and, and that's that's fair because what we're looking at is the outcome rather than the treatment. Um, and I think sometimes we focus a little bit too much on making sure everyone's got the same treatment, whereas actually what's more important is how they can use that treatment and what the outcome is. So that's the bit that I am most focused on, is making sure everyone has the same outcomes. It's, it's really interesting. And, and I think in public health, we we are often characterised by by the the broad sweeping interventions that we have some role in. You're thinking sugar tax or um, smoking bans, and 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 we do. It's an important part of how we operate, isn't it? But the the more individual, as as you're describing there, is 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 also so important. It's a huge part of what we do as well, isn't it? Yeah, and and it's not one or the other. Um, you absolutely need. Uh, legislation, seatbelt legislation has been the biggest saver of life um, since about the 1980s. So, you know, actually, that legislation was really, really important and it saved lives. It's, it's smoking bans save lives. They absolutely do save lives. What we need to recognise, though, is that some communities will need help to get the, the biggest advantage. So, if you take the seatbelt laws okay so not so much now but originally who did it penalize it penalized the people with older cars and and who didn't have money to go out and buy uh, more 
a, new, a newer car with seat belts in. So actually, when we think about these legislations, we need to think about understanding your your local place and how you work out how you can support all communities to make the most. So sweeping legislation, really, really important. And I really, we need things like that to drive forward the agenda. But then local people need to sit down and think about, well, what does this mean for that community and how can we help them to get the most out of this legislation? So it's not an either or, it's, it's definitely a both. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's really important. Thank you. To go back to, I think you mentioned that 20 year gap between the most affluent and most deprived populations. And that that was that was life expect well, that was healthy life expectancy healthy wasn't life it? Expectancy, and, and I think yeah. we 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 don't or we we do in the profession this is is our it's a big focus isn't it um but what tends to to get the news lines is is life expectancy um and the the plateauing of that in in recent years particularly with COVID which which is also is very important but that twenty year gap in healthy life expectancy is, is huge, isn't it? And and I can see, you know, where your passion comes from. If, if you're being faced with that every day, I, it must be a big driver. Yeah, um, I, I don't want anyone to get to retirement so so ill that they cannot enjoy their retirement. They, they're looking forward to retirement because it'll, it'll be a break from having to manage all the ill health issues. And actually, Everyone should get to retirement to have some enjoyment. And, uh, you know, actually, we need to think about that. And um, as retirement ages get older, we, we need to make sure that those people in the most deprived areas get healthier so that they can enjoy their retirement. Because otherwise they're going to be spend longer in work in poor health. And that's not good for us as a country. Impacts on our um, productivity and and you know having more people ill, but we we absolutely need to make sure that we're using our workforce and good healthy work is really important and it keeps people going, it keeps people interested and it it provides um, a stimulus for life. So yeah, that's what we want. We want people to be able to to get to the sixty seven healthy and and not stop working at, at 60 because of their ill health means that they they can't work absolutely and, and you mentioned um maybe it's too, too leading of a question i suppose but um it's almost an economic economic argument for what we do um and you mentioned it's not good for us as a country for for people in their retirement to be in in poor health for, for however long because it it costs money and you also mentioned you know the economic case of if if children aren't getting a good education going to be earning less over the uh, sort of lifetime and how could one fail to make an economic case for this sort of intervention um but i i, but I appreciate that we're always working within and you mentioned local authorities or, or the translation of national policy we're always working within tight budgets and it must be difficult to really describe the economic pathways of, of some interventions so i i think that the economic case is well understood within both national local government and the NHS. So I, I do think that we understand why we need to do it. What's really difficult is balancing the workload. So while you're, you can't move to a new model, while you're still dealing with people who are, haven't, haven't benefited from a more holistic approach to health. So we have, we have hospital waits and we have to focus on, that's what a hospital's job is, to get those people in, to treat those people and, and to improve their health. There isn't the capacity to do that at the same time 
as to be thinking about what's the community that I'm serving? How do I I link in? And I think it, it's how how do you change the direction of the tanker? You can't if you've got a great big tanker at sea, it takes hours to change its course. If you've gone off course, it, you you can't just turn. And it's not like a car. It takes hours to move it back into the, the right alignment. And that's that's what we're trying to do. But we have the long term plan, the NHS long term plan. We have um, things like social prescribing coming up, which all help us to be the things that turn that direction. But but actually, it yeah, it takes all of us to do it's, it's work. It's it's, you know, it's where we live. It's communities, it's local government, but it's also what it feels like in the place that you live and that's that's up to you as a person how how your how your community feels and how you engage with your community so it's 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 kind of a a mindset and what's what's really interesting is covid helped us to do this so whilst covid was was awful but covid brought communities together more people supported each other more when when some people were isolated, couldn't go out, you had communities rallying around and supporting each other. And now we have more community cohesion than we've had uh, in the past five or six years before the pandemic, because that's that's part of the legacy of the pandemic. And, th- and that's really a good thing for us to, to be taking out of the pandemic, whilst I recognise that the pandemic itself was, was really awful. Um, and it, you know, it was it was very difficult, and people haven't received the care that they need, and all of those other things that we're now trying to catch up on. But actually, we can use we have to carry on with some of those benefits that came out of the pandemic, and some of that is about how communities worked, how we use digital, um, how how we can embrace digital to move some of our healthcare forward, so that those that can't use digital are more enabled to you know it's easier for them to get face-to-face appointments if some people are using digital and some people if they've got digital uh, means that now they will go to the doctors uh, attend their appointments whereas perhaps before they wouldn't have because they didn't have that that time it takes 30 minutes to do a phone call with your consultant whereas it might have taken you half a day or a day if you've had to travel somewhere gone to the appointment and then had to travel all the way back, whole day out of work, whereas now it's 30 minutes. So we have to take some of those advantages. We learned lots in the pandemic and we need to make sure we take that forward. You're right. And I think it's it's fair to say that we have to take those opportunities, don't we? Because they are there and it, and it would just be such a shame if if they weren't taken. I suppose thinking about to, to some degree personal opportunities for you um, going, going into your new job, is there anything in particular that you you would like to aim towards any 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 hopes with that so my new job i'm i'm at the end of my career that's it you wouldn't believe it i know but i am <laughs> and i was really really keen so and partly this was the pandemic i i did a lot of frontline work within the pandemic and i really enjoyed that opportunity and i wanted that one last big job before i go into retirement that actually i can i really want to go out having doing something I really, really enjoy. Um, and I've really enjoyed my policy role. Um, and I've yeah, I've been able to make changes to national policy and, and to bring in different elements of aspects of policy that perhaps wouldn't have come out if we hadn't have been 
adding to those conversations. But now for me, at this, I'm, I'm being really selfish and I'm looking after me and I want a hands-on role. So uh, that's my motivation to change. I, want, I just want to get back out and working with people uh, before I, I sink into retirement. That's, that's, that's really exciting. That's, um, it's a nice way of looking at it, I think, and, and career progression. You know, we think a lot about career progression. It's always t- title-based almost and up, up and up, isn't it? But I think also you need to reflect on, on what drives you and, and, it, and it's lovely speaking to you now and, and you can you can get that that drive across that um i suppose appreciation for the role so it's, it's obviously working isn't it? it's very exciting yeah well you spend a lot of time of your life at work so you've got to enjoy what what you do and it isn't always about uh, the paycheck at the end of the month for me it's also about uh, some personal uh, gratification from the work that i do so that's why i'm going back to a community-based role I did just want to touch a little bit on some of the systems leadership stuff that we do um, yeah. and some of the support that's available for, for the systems leadership. So some people think that the health improvement uh, agenda is, is a softer option. It might feel like that because it's harder to define sometimes what the outcomes are. But in terms of, of how we work and how we are systems leaders, we have to navigate our way through uh, the politics of local place and national government, people with different agendas and bringing them together and creating um, a single agenda. And that's that's actually quite skillful work to do. I think I once had a, a trainee who said to me that he, they thought that they could do systems leadership until they came and worked with us. And boy, do they now understand how, how tricky systems leadership can be um, because because you've got lots of different people wanting to go in different directions. It's all vaguely the same direction, but it's a bit like trying to, to move things forward in a single direction. It's a bit like herding cats and you have to keep coming around and, and catching people and saying, yeah, how can we help you with yours? So it's a, it's a very, it's a very time consuming. Spend a lot of time talking to people about what they want to get out of pieces of work. There are several ways which you can get some of these skills. So um, particularly for trainees, I would suggest a placement in year four or five within either a national or regional body or across a council, but perhaps within a different portfolio from the public health portfolio so that you can see how some of those other things link together. Um, Once once you're a consultant, you can actually do, uh, there are a couple of uh, system leadership courses which become very valuable uh, to understand the sort of person you are and the skills that you have that you can amplify and the skills that perhaps you need to just just home in on so that you don't actually end up pushing your agenda too far too fast and, and losing that system leadership um, commitment that you get. So I would suggest that people looked at both the aspiring Director of Public Health course, which is it's an annual course. It runs for a year. It, you you do modules and go backwards and forwards and doing piece of work throughout the course, which which you use your system leadership skills on. And then a, a parallel course to that for those that aren't in local authority is the Future Leaders Scheme, which is part of the Department of Health and Social Care. And again, it's it's very much whether you want to do health improvement in the NHS as a healthcare public health consultant, 
a local authority or uh, within a national organisation such as OHID, it's a very good course for helping you to understand how uh, different departments work together. And they, they complement each other. They're slightly different, but they do complement each other. That's, that's, those are good to thank you. And, and am I right, you've done both of those? I have, yeah. <laughs> obviously, um, you did lots of some leadership yeah. skills. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's paid off, obviously. So those, am I right, those are post-CCT courses? They are. Usually about um, year three as a consultant. When you're thinking, you're confident as a consultant and you're thinking about where your next step might be. Uh, it's a good way to to have those experiences and understand you know where your interests lie. Gives you that opportunity to do that exploration. And and I suppose meanwhile for for registrars trainees coming through, any way of of picking up those skills as they're coming through that you'd recommend. So I do think that in year four or five of your training, you should aim for a program of work that exposes you to lots of different partners. Um, so maybe the developing strategy, developing policy type of competencies. Yeah, actually pick something which enables you to work so across uh, different departments so, so that you have to think about how you engage with others. So engaging with teachers, yeah, their job is to teach children. They're not interested in the health outcomes of children, but they are interested in making sure that children get the best out of education. And they can understand that if a child comes to school really hungry in the morning, they're not going to be able to sit there and make the best out of their lessons. So we've got a lot in common with with other professionals, but we just have to think about what what's what's their agenda and how do we turn our agenda around to to make it palatable and, and make it make sense to our professional colleagues, because everybody wants the best for children or everyone wants the best for care for our adult but sometimes we aren't always coming from it from the same direction so we kind of miss each other a little bit we're kind of running in parallel worlds whereas we want to join up and and move as one so it's about thinking about where you can get those experiences they're all over the place there's lots of them but it's sometimes it's quite easy to go for the, the things that you know rather than the the opportunities that that might might make you feel a bit more uncomfortable but they're the best opportunities, even if they go wrong. You learn more from it. That's good advice. Thank you. And and you're right. I can appreciate those are hard won skills, aren't they, to bring those in professionally. Uh, so you mentioned the leadership courses and appreciate we've got coming to the end of our, our time that we'd, we'd booked in. Is there anything else that you uh, that we haven't covered today that you were very keen to to cover? I don't think that you can. It's, it's really, really important to think about your collaboration. That's pro- if within health improvement and uh, the disparities work streams, so the the health improvement, health promotion type work streams, working in collaboration is the only way that you make a difference. And and whether it's about co-designing with other professionals, uh, with voluntary sector organisations, with communities, or with you know with other peer groups that that you have within your organisation, the time that you spent doing that type of work will get you the best outcomes. You might not think it's the thing that gets you to where you need to be, but it gets you there quicker if you do it properly. So my advice is always to start early with the collaboration and make sure that you, you spend lots of time talking to people, really understanding what the issue is 
Um, I don't know if you've heard of the five whys. So if, if you've got a problem, I don't know, people in one area are don't exercise as much as people in another area. So the first question is, why is that? And then you you say, well, it's because it's because they haven't got any green space or and you make an assumption that you know what the why is. And if you ask five whys, so what why have they got no green space? Well, because it's a new estate and there wasn't any. Why? And you just keep going. Well, what's the leisure facilities? Why is it they not using the leisure facilities? And it takes five whys to come to the real reason why someone isn't doing it. And quite often we swap at, stop at two whys. So we put interventions in which don't actually resolve the real reason why people don't do things. So just keep asking why. That That's my big uh, big line to you. you know, just keep keep digging until you really, really, really have got to the root cause of why things happen. Um, and then when you put your intervention in, it will have the outcome that you want it to uh, because you've really understood what the problem is. That's, that's a good tip thinking. It's not one I've I've heard before. And but it does just remind us to to keep questioning, doesn't it? You know, it just speaks to that. Just keep questioning, keep digging. Don't don't follow our assumptions too easily. Absolutely. Um, and we make we we kind of think we know why things don't happen. But for different communities, uh, it's a completely different reason. Fall, that's a trap, a trap that we all fall into at some point. I am. Um, we we normally end the podcast by asking guests for for one career tip for those currently training. I appreciate you've you've given a lot of tips already. You might have exhausted them. I don't know. Have you have you got one career tip you would give for current trainees? Make the most of every opportunity that you get. Each placement that you get is unique and it's it's different. Don't decide what you want to do within the first two weeks. I always make my trainees spend a month just absorbing what's going on so that they can really decide what they want to home in on. Um, If you've got that opportunity, take some time to absorb placement at the beginning of the placement and don't come up with the answer too quickly about what you want to do. Quite often, I think we rush in. We think we know what we want to do. We know which competency we want to tick off. And and we've closed down other avenues which we could have could have taken by by being a bit too narrow. You have to get there in the end. I appreciate that. You can't you can't carry on not not focusing, but just make sure you take time at the beginning of your placements to to understand what the placement is about. That's really good advice. Thank you. Really appreciate that. And and I think it's something that we're probably all guilty of. I know I am as well. Either assuming you know you know an answer, or because we we move around so often, the questions and and issues are so broad. Taking or allowing ourselves to take mental shortcuts where we we convince ourselves that perhaps we know the answer or or perhaps this is enough and yeah you're right just asking why asking those five whys and reminding ourselves to to keep asking yeah and and just absorb what's going on around you you might not some of the times it might be uncomfortable but that's okay because that means you're learning enjoy the uncomfortableness <laughs> we'll try how I, I will experience <laughs> as soon as i move to coventry <laughs> Excellent. Well, absolutely for you. Best of luck. Um, really excited to hear about the new job. You know, huge appreciation for um, for coming in today. It's, it's been a really interesting conversation. So thank you. All the best. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.